Welcome to Radio Finance, the podcast that helps you understand the transformative developments taking place in the world today. Hello and welcome to this Radio Finance virtual roundtable on the future of digital banking from growth to sustainable profitability. We will discuss how the financial services industry is leveraging digitalization to transform into more competitive, customer-centric, and profitable digital players. Welcome Brian Carroll, founder and CEO of TNEX Digital Bank in Vietnam, Ganit Singh Bali, Group Head of Retail Channel and Security Bank in the Philippines, Kevin Lam, Head of Tomorrow and Group Digital Banking of Singapore-based UOB, Mahesh Ranade, Chief Information Officer of Bank Danamon in Indonesia, Kun Varanush Dija Kasaya, Executive Chairman of Kasikon Bank's digital subsidiary Kasikon Business Technology Group. And finally, Nick Wow, Managing Director for Asia Pacific of Cloud Native Core Banking Solution Provider Top Machine. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. The main competitive advantage now is the ability, is the sum of all your customer interactions and the value propositions or the opportunities to generate value that this provides, okay? They must accept that disintermediation is now the norm and they should embrace it. Mm-hmm. And I think finally, in digital, our personalization and innovation at scale. And both of those points were recognition of culture. Okay, that okay. was my point. Uh, UB, we just launched a new brand position and one of the three key strategic priorities is actually personalized service. And we have gone on record to say that UB tomorrow wants to be the world's most engaging digital bank. The, the, the crux of a, a banking business, my view is that it's the balance sheet. Right? Banking, we make business from the corridor margin. Um, it's a leverage system. So to me, actually, a repeated sustainable purchases and usage of banking services by our customers, whichever segments that you pick from, um, you can go for the underserved segment, you can go to the affluent segment, they all can be digital. It's actually the most uh, important thing to um, sustainable profitability. So you need to have a sustainable balance sheet. And I, I, mean, I mean by that, your funding, right? Because I think a lot of uh, digital banks and digital banking are, are struggling right now. Um, with the high cost, there's a high cost of acquisition of customers, high cost of retaining the customers, right? So the ability for us to get funding, right, at a low cost, right? Because if we want to do lending, when we think the profitability is in lending, you can't get the sustainable funding. There won't be no sustainable lending that will keep the profitability. And we mean through the cycle profitability, not just profitable now, but next cycle comes, right? Um, you know, the, the, the bank is gone. So for me, customization and then speed of the to the market is going to be real of the competitive that you can grab the new segment faster. So clearly, personalization is is the key, and 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 that takes us to a level that the personalization now you know has to move beyond just being offers being personalized or nudges being personalized. It has to move beyond to a level wherein. Uh, a product proposition can be personalized to an individual, uh, you know, 
requirement. It's not just the culture of the bank that is required to drive digital, I would, I would argue. It's recognising the culture of the customers that you're looking to serve. And the reason I think that's so important is if you, you know, if you're if you're in developed economies, you've got, you know, one of the largest wealth transitions happening at the moment from, uh, you know, from baby boomers to whatever the next generation is, pick your X, Y, or Z. Uh, in, in the emerging economies, you've got, you know, this, uh, the, the, you know, a, a, a terrific sort of move up into um, the, middle, the middle classes through entrepreneurialism, SMEs, and all, all those sorts of things. So that the culture of the customer of the banks is, is changing. You're, you're, you're now selling to people who were seemingly born with a mobile in their hand. Um, and so, and therefore have a high expectation of the bank that they will receive a similar level of personalization that they receive through e-commerce or um, through their social media or, or, or those kind of things. Real, real, true cloud native, you know, ecosystem front to back starts to give banks the opportunity, puts, puts, puts banking products back in the hands of bankers, starts to give them the opportunity to hyper-personalise hyper all the way, all the way back um, and avoid what I think we're starting to see uh, on, on apps and, and stuff like that, which is a certain level of, of, of digital sameness. And you've got to not just deliver at scale, but you've got to personalise and customise at scale. Uh, and that's, you know, and, and that, that's a challenging thing. But the new, you know, the newer technologies are offering a path forward, I would argue. We see digital only not so much associated with the uh, fact that it must be a cloud native core or is a legacy core. I think it's more about when we look at the digital experience, right, and a customer journey end to end is designed with no ops. In our understanding, digital customer journey right now is intuitive. I mean, um, of course, if you have a very flexible stack that can allow you to do a lot of customization at the back, that would be great. But um, the key point actually is about the journey for the customer, right? That is actually designed without ops and uh, it's empowering to the customer. Mm. We have some competitors launched in Singapore recently about two weeks ago. One of the things that they offered was um, an ability for the customers to choose the credit card repayment date. Any day within the month is a repayment date. So it's a great idea, right, to give the customers any day of the month that they want to be a repayment date. If I were to put that on the list of priorities to, to do, right, would that rank higher than the $35 of NTUC vouchers? All right, Is that a bigger driver than ability to pick any day of the month to be a repayment date? So we, we're talking about the customer feeling, the customer value proposition, right, is sustainable. So we have 1.2 million customers, cost of service, $2.36 per year. <laughs> Our customers earn $3,500 a year. So, I, you know, I've got to keep costs in line with customer. Back to your point about customer. So if I look at my customer lifetime value, it's going to be hard to get there. So what drives customer lifetime value? It's cost of acquisition. My cost of acquisition is $2 last month, $2.76 per customer. So all of these fundamental figures, you know, unit economics around cost to serve, which is primarily all costs except marketing, and your cost to acquire, 
of course, your retention costs and your engagement costs, digital banks can do that really, really much better. Why? Because they're more intelligent people? No, because they have no technical debt. So I, I would say probably the NTCU, NTUC vouchers is the, you know, is the big appeal, certainly for the customer acquisition stuff at, at, at the moment. I think that, uh, but I think that speaks to the power of ecosystem, right? Which takes us into a whole, you know, different area. Having the right, the, the right partners in your ecosystem. The credit card date, I think, is you know, it's not a magic wand, but it's it's one of those, you know, you 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 then start to create the customer experience inch by inch by inch, and the ability to do those things quickly and easily and continually innovate. And offer those things. I think does you know? I think genuinely does uh, does add up. A- absolutely. I mean, you know, obviously the fact that tomorrow exists, the fact that Mox and Trust Bank exist shows that that, that the big incumbent banks are extremely aware of the uh, you know of the, the competitive um, threat that they face. I think you know. I mean, bank- banking for all sorts of reasons. Uh, regulatory, legislative, all sorts of things, and also because banks have done a, a damn good job over the last twenty years, you know, creating um, digital experiences for their for their customers. You know, neo banks have had a, you know, there are more failures than there are su- successes, but but where you look at those successes, where you look at Tnex, where you look at tomorrow, where you look at Mox Trust. Um, you know, revolute some of the others, you're starting to see a cumulative level of threat, as well as what, you know, technology and data continues to bring that says big, big banks really do now need to look to the next five to 10 years and say, you know, is there an existential threat on the horizon? Personally, my belief is yes. Um, uh, but, you know, I, so yeah. And I haven't spoken, I mean, we I've spoken to probably four or 500 banks across the region in the last three years. I haven't come across a single incumbent bank that's sitting back and saying, no, it's all overhyped. You know, there's, there, there's no threat, we're comfortable. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think we're living in very, very interesting times. So uh, I don't think like any bank tend to go totally replace the legacy one, but more on introduce the new digital, um, the new digital core banking, um, and that is a way, but I mean, the issue in terms of like uh, interoperate, interop, and also in terms of the how we can manage multi host of the core banking. That's the key. Uh, let's say I have uh, two core banking, one legacy one, one is a digital one. How long, how it lasts long that I have to manage the cost? You still have the risk in terms of the migrate, the, the, the old legacy one. That the the yeah, yes. Any new entrant who comes in, the biggest challenge that they have uh, is, uh, is is the customer acquisition and and the cost of acquiring more customers in the market. You know, and and leaving uh, you know, so pay uh, Maya has come in. They were already a wallet, so they already have a base of customers they can bank upon. Uno is a zero-based bank, so you know they'll be having their own set of challenges. So Tonic was the first one, so they have acquired certain uh, certain customers because of uh, high deposits uh, benefits that they're giving um, uh, onto the customer. We as bank, we have got our own uh, defined segment and we are focusing on on, on, on that very uh, segment thoroughly. So I think it's they, 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 they come in like just another bank. There would be, uh, you know, the competition, the way you, you compete in terms of uh, propositions and offerings to a customer. 
what would continue to be there. My personal belief is that a physical uh, proposition, which is physical and a digital together, has always has got an edge on only uh, digital uh, piece. Typically, when consumer bankers think about partnership, we think about something very tactical. Um, it's a it's a promotion. It's a tie up for a number of years or a number of months, and then then it's over. But here, I think this kind of uh, ecosystem we're talking about data. Um, exchanged, right? Being able to leverage each other's data, being able to leverage each other's use case. So to do that kind of close partnership and collaboration, you almost have to be the same company because when you think about strategic decisions that need to be made, when you're in a down cycle, when there are investments that need to be made or there are risks that needs to be made, what's the boardroom composition, right? How do you actually structure um, the decision-making process forward, right? So getting a partner is definitely foregone conclusion. It's a technology company, has a very different DNA, a different culture. Being a high-growth company, they are not having to face shareholders that are looking for dividends every year, right? But if you are a company that's grown up, right, where you are trying to favor stability that make sure that you are able to generate a steady dividend return to your shareholders on an ongoing basis, right? Then you have a very different set of uh, priorities, right? So when, when you come together in that kind of a combination, um, what we call it the personalities or the DNA of the different companies coming together, I think is something very important to think about for the longer term. I think as with everything, right, there's a, a double-edged sword. I think, you know, we move into a more and more platform economy. Ecosystems are, you know, as, as, as Kevin has just pointed out, you know, are, are going to be increasingly essential. But there is... Uh, but I, I really agree with his his thing about it. it's not just a tactical. Oh, okay, you know, I'll 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 you know jump onto your ecosystem or vice versa. The danger, of course, is you know if as a bank what you are offering is a vanilla loan or a vanilla current account that that sort of goes into that that platform. The danger is that at the end of the two years or three years or five years, whatever the uh, the relationship is. You know, if, if, if it's just that commodity thing, then it's actually the platform that still owns the customers and the customer experiences. And, and if they can disintermediate the bank, they can then just set up a, a race to the bottom for the bank for a vanilla provider. So I think we go back to this personalization and, and hyper-personalization is, is critical and, and both parties really understanding and making sure there's something in it for them so that you're truly tied together as a partnership, you're not just providing a service. You know, that whilst ecosystems are a huge opportunity and a, a necessary move for, for banks, um, there, there is also a danger if they're entered into tactically as, uh, as as Kevin would put it, rather than, you know, a truly strategic partnership where, where both sides thrive. So payment platforms uh, do have the trump card in here. They have the upper hand, uh, and especially particularly with the data. Uh, but uh, and, and banks are, are keen to, par to partner with them in, in terms of, you know, uh, putting uh, their, uh, actually integrating their financial value solutions into it. Uh, but access to data is often very restricted. And, and so the, the, the value itself and, and the, the partnership is, is not often uh, to the full value what, what the banks see. So it, it's at the moment, uh, uh, I wouldn't say we have seen a successful uh, you know, ecosystem built up. But banks are probably focusing right now a lot on mortgages, your home loan systems, 
you know, building the pre-purchase and post-purchase journey. That's, uh, I think, uh, especially in markets like Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, to a certain degree in Malaysia uh, and Australia, that is coming. So the platform business on on the home loan uh, uh, sort of uh, business line, uh, having add-on value uh, with um, you know fintech partners, uh, that is very much actually ongoing. Also, it's not like that you have like hundred different you know uh, fintech partners. On. So it's a, like a very cautious and careful expansion of of that value chain. And how we build the ecosystem is we go back to customer. We asked them, we looked at a day in the life of the customer. How many multiple touch points could we get involved with the customer? Because if you're relying on payments and balance and transaction or whatever, you're not going to have many touch points. And linear journeys, as we saw in insurance, are gone. Okay, But my customers are Gen Z, and they don't earn a lot of money. Our micro-merchants have their own payment ecosystem, so they don't lose margin. Ecosystem is about giving your customer what they need. But we build our own ecosystem as well, guys, because we've got the data. And of course, the great thing about cloud is you can fail at scale, okay? And I love that. So you could fail cheap and at scale and forward. Okay, back to the security question. Of course, data security, data sovereignty, regulated, whatever. But on the cloud, um, and, you know, Doing this without the cloud is like driving a car with no wheels. As in the case of Teenex, we, you know, we have everything encrypted at rest, in movement, and it's obfuscated, and it's aligned to the compliance of Vietnam, which is quite strong. So you know, it doesn't matter if you use, I suppose, if we take it away from the cloud, it doesn't matter if you're using on-prem or on-cloud, you know, security should be top of your agenda. But on cloud, because you've got the platforms and the learnings and the well-architected frameworks for some really seriously intelligent people in Amazon, you know, in our case, you can actually do things really, really quickly. Um, on data side, you know, don't have data unencrypted, don't have data, um, have data obfuscated if possible and encrypted, and don't and make sure both in movement and at rest that it's uh, that it's the case. So to, to conclude, I, I just want. Um, maybe some you know, final comments from each one of you, uh, starting with Kevin. I think for sustained profitability, you would need commitment. Uh, it's a long game. Um, investment is high. There's going to be doubts along the way, losses even, right? We talk about test and learn, failure at scale. Um, the shareholders got to have the stomach for it, right? And uh, you don't break the bank by damaging your reputation, whatever you, you, you try and you test and learn and you continue to have commitment. Yeah, this is similar to Kevin. I think like we have to go for it for sure. And then like uh, try, test, failure. But again, I think the digital journey has been done for long. It's not just only the starting uh, for the past few years. It's over five years or almost 10 years from now. The more that we can automation, lower the operating cost, and then make the customer strict or have the loyalty. Keep building the loyalty. I think like that, that is the key one uh, to move okay. forward. And then ex expand for the new innovation product. That is also the key. When we talk in terms of profitability for... Uh for the digital banks. So the starting point has to be clearly the intent. Because clearly, you know, majority of the banks were starting off with, uh, you know, with the valuation game. Let me have X million customers, I'll have this valuation, uh, and then I'll somehow I'll figure out the profitability. So I think it has to clearly start with 
that you know that you have a defined intent to be profitable and then leading it to the customer segment uh, and that would be the starting point and and it's good for all of us to have some clear you know paths to profitability um i think it's really interesting now guys path to profitability has changed hugely a lot of that's due to funding you know you can't get you can't burn ridiculous amounts of cac and you know this nonsense which isn't sustainable but the main thing that's happening is digital banking is now a commodity when monzo and starling and ing they weren't a commodity but now the the incumbent banks have done a really good job so if i look at you know if i look at many digital banks mobile applications and i look at i don't know hsbc or 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 stand chartered there's very little difference so now we've got to this commodity and also the cost to serve is going to be commoditized because it's not difficult anymore technology guys is commoditized i think the future you'll see right now will be data i think the you'll see you know 30 to 40% of bank income traditional bank income being replaced by data driven plays in the next 5 years i've absolutely zero doubt um and whoever can win this data economy and differentiate through personalization or through product creation or through risk management or through better leaner processes using these data will be the most sustainably profitable bank so um and i think this divide between traditional and new will be data and how right. we use it uh we looked at uh, profitability right and uh, we only saw 29 banks were profitable but what was interesting to see that um out of these uh, 29 more than half of them were actually first generation digital banks not second generation digital banks after 2015 and so on. so that's a very interesting point because obviously the first generation digital banks also get things right and in- increasingly actually adjusting to the second generation digital banks so they're not out of business yet the first ones we also have seen that uh, i would say an increasing number of uh, second generation digital banks will become profitable in the next years ahead we have seen this for the uk now with starling and monzo on the verge of it uh, for full year profitability we also uh, have seen this from the payments banks in india uh, which are now on the verge of that and so um while we might say that they have focused all on uh, cx and ux and uh, funding in the beginning uh, some of them get it right and some of them are very rapidly actually becoming profitable probably within our span of 4 years i would say which is around the average um is a, a guy who's leading transformation in in one of the large in, in incumbents um and i think you know all of the pressure that, that that he and his team are feeling are caused by you know by organizations like tenex but also by tomorrow and trust and and mox right there's no there's nothing that says that you have to be a new organization into to to succeed right um there are you know there's a lot of smart people in the income banks and given the right given the right boundaries they they can create um you know they can create or, or let loose they can create um they can create great things but uh yeah it's uh, if it was if it was easy you know it would be two thirds would be profitable right exactly and, and we can sense that uh, pressure that tension uh, in, in this conversation itself um incumbent banks are digitalizing digital only banks that are more competition that are, uh, regulators are allowing more of them to come in um but uh, the end Uh, uh, at the end, the the great differentiator is innovation and centered on data and how banks 
use those data using uh, technology. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, not forgetting the, the key differentiator is not you know, uh, personalization uh, as a buzzword of um, all sticky products, all of this is the commitment to innovation and having the culture that promote innovation, how you use data, how you bring in the technology that allow you to use that data more efficiently. So on that note, uh, I want to thank you all for a very interesting um, uh, uh, dialogue, very thought-provoking comments that you've given. On behalf of uh, the Asian Banker Radio Finance, we'd like to thank all our uh, guests, our experts and uh, practitioners, Brian, Kevin, uh, Gunet, uh, Nick, and our own Christian. I think Kun uh, Varunuj has already uh, left, so uh, we want to thank her as well. So great. Thank you and uh, have a good day. Thank you for listening to Radio Finance. For more content, visit the Asian Banker website and follow us on social media.